Our scripture reading this morning can be found in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. Uh, if you'd like to follow along in the uh, Bible found in the back of the pew in front of you, uh, that will be found on page 942. Again, that's John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. As he was, <clears throat> and as he was now going down, his servant met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. We just had the reading of a beautiful story that took place in the life of Jesus, so the second sign that's recorded in the book of John, and I look forward to getting into that with you in just a few minutes as we look at Christ the King. We need to learn about Him. We need to love Him, and He needs to change our life. We're thankful this month to be able to participate again in Operation Turkey. It's the, operation, it's the opportunity for you uh, to adopt a family in either El Salvador or Honduras. And these are preaching families that we send down a note to them. Your note will be translated. Uh, $50 for them to be able to buy a holiday meal. And preferably, if you would, include a picture of yourself or your family. They love to receive this kind of encouragement. And it makes a huge difference. A lot of them invite their small congregations over to their house and they share this meal together. And it's been a great success over the past few years. The boards are up in the foyer. Uh, you can go by and take down the picture of the family that you want to adopt. And then you can bring the check and the note and the, the uh, photograph and things back over the next few weeks. Also, we want to remind everyone that Tuesday is election day. And if you haven't voted already in early voting, we want to encourage you to go out and vote yes on Amendment 1. Obviously, we don't get into the political arena of endorsing a party or a certain politician, but this is about a state amendment that will help us to make a stand for the sanctity of life. And you can actually go in and vote on nothing but Amendment 1 if that's the way you would want to do that. The plea that we're making is please at least go and vote on Amendment 1. Uh, also, if uh, some of you have been asking about more that you can do, if you want to hold signs and etc. They can give you the guidelines and there are many that uh, needs 
for that to be done. And you can contact these two ladies here that are organizing this in Wilson and uh, Davidson County. And so if you want to be a participant, we already have several that are doing that here uh, of this congregation and uh, have been doing it during early voting. And if you want to uh, be a part of that on Tuesday, uh, be sure and contact uh, these ladies through these numbers and you are through these emails or phone numbers and you can find best where to be involved in this. I'd like for us to pause now and have a prayer about this specific issue and uh, we'll continue on. Let's bow. Our most gracious God, uh, we're humbled that you would care for us and that you would bless us. And we're somewhat shaken when we stop and think that we're approaching an almighty God who created life and looks at life with great sanctity and we live in a nation that takes life carelessly and casually every day and even the most innocent of life. We realize, God, we're not worthy. And we realize if your justice came down that we would be destroyed as a nation. And so, God, we ask for your patience. And we know that, that righteousness exalts a nation and you tell us that sin is a reproach to any nation. And God, we confess the sin and, and we pray that you give us wisdom to know best how to stand and know best how to make a difference. Our prayer is that our nation would take steps back closer to you. God, we thank you. We see your hand in the history of America. You've blessed us richly. And our prayer is that we would not forget you. And it's through your son's name we pray. And amen. In just a few minutes, we'll be dismissed from this service and we'll go to Bible classes. If you're a guest or yet not involved in a Bible class, we would invite you. We have 13 adult classes. We'd love to tell you about them. And if we can help you after this, please be sure and let us know. We're also studying the life of Christ in Bible class as well. And we're going through the book of Matthew. And so we hope that you'll join us there. While you're in Bible class, we'll be making plans for the great prayer day that we have each year. And it will be next Sunday. And it's where your Bible classes will gather next Sunday outside of regular Bible class time and every member of the congregation will be prayed for by name. Every ministry will be prayed for and the deacons will let us know what they want us to be praying for in their ministries. And then also every prayer request that's turned in will be prayed next Sunday. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, you can do that electronically or also there are hard copies in the classroom and there are boxes at the information center. Uh, there's a box for just general prayer requests, but also there's another box that just says for elders only, prayer requests for elders only. And so if you have uh, a, a prayer request that you want to be confidential, uh, but you do want the elders to be praying, uh, you can submit it in that box and the elders will be the only ones that will see that and will be praying about that. We want to always be a people that all we know to do is to turn to God in prayer. In the best of days and the worst of days, all we know to do is turn to God in prayer. So we look forward to the opportunity to have an extended period of time uh, next Sunday to be able to pray uh, with each other, brothers and sisters in Christ. Kingdom living. If you do not see the sign, you very well could miss the destination. I know I shared this with you uh, a while back, but I, I just want to share with you a story that because of some things that happened this week, it was just on my mind, and then also because of this study uh, where we're going through John and seeing the study of John's 
uh, record of the signs of Jesus. I couldn't help but think of a time in my life that I was probably the most frustrated that I have ever been about missing a sign. Tracy and I had not been married long. We loaded up a U-Haul, attached our car to a dolly behind that U-Haul, and we began our move to Long Island, New York. Everything had gone good the first day, and then into the second day was when we would pass through New York City and out of Manhattan onto Long Island and drive towards the end of Long Island, and Riverhead, New York would be the ultimate destination for us. But when we had passed through the Lincoln Tunnel and then across Manhattan, the Midtown Tunnel, as some of you will know, is a toll tunnel. And when you're driving a truck, they charge per axle at truck rate. And since I'm pulling a car, it's four axles at truck rate. Now, some of you younger ones won't even be able to imagine this. This was back in the days where you laid open a big old map called an atlas. And it always helps when you have a navigator with an atlas. And I had a good navigator. And so we come out of the Midtown Tunnel, and just out of the tunnel, you're supposed to be able to catch Long Island Expressway 495 that goes straight to Riverhead. How difficult could that be? Well, we went down far enough. Finally, we said, we must have missed the sign. Well, turning around is not easy in New York City and a U-Haul pulling a car. But finally, we did. And as we started back, we looked even doubly carefully that we could see that sign. We did not see a sign, but what we did see was the entrance to the Midtown Tunnel coming inside, and there was no way to turn left or right. Now we're passing back through the tunnel. Now in Manhattan, we finally turned back around to go through the Midtown Tunnel, only to pay a hefty fee a second time. We come out of the tunnel looking very carefully and still cannot find it. We go through this episode a third time. <laughs> By this time, I'm running out of money and probably out of patience. And so as we pass far enough along thinking, we've missed it again, I don't understand how, I finally found a place that we could turn on a side street and halfway down the block, there was a New York City police officer walking the beat. And he was on Tracy's side. I said, Tracy yell down to him and ask him how we're missing 495. And she said, you know, any of you know Tracy, she's quieter, you know. She said, I can't. I said, Tracy, we've got to. You've got to yell at him. He's about to walk away. And, and so she rose the window down and she lets out that, hey! <laughs> and he turns around and, and he puts, he puts his, his hands on his belt and he bows his legs out a little bit and he says, hi. <laughs> and he starts walking over with a big grin. And he says, y'all from the south? <laughs> I guess the U-Haul was the giveaway. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, he was a nice, nice fellow. And he says, there's a huge sign just right back there that says Long Island Expressway 495. He says it kind of dives off real steep, cloverleaf down underneath the road you're on. And I said, there is a big sign right down there? He said, yeah, it's big. He said, you can't miss it. I said, this is our third time, and we've missed it every time. And he said, you know, you're right. We had a bad storm here. He said, that sign got blown over last night. Well, that makes all the difference. Okay, now we're able to turn back around, and we are able to go. But listen, 
If you cannot have the proper sign, oftentimes you won't find your destination. Do you realize the importance of what John is saying when he writes the Gospel of John? And I'd I'd like for you to see it again. Look there in John 20 and notice what he says in verse 30. John 20 and notice what he says in verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. And when he says these are written, he's saying, in other words, sure, I had, I had a slew of signs that Jesus, in other words, miracles, that Jesus did. And, and I could have picked from all of those, but what I did, he says, I picked seven of them. And these seven I picked was for this reason. Notice 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Do you see what the signs were supposed to do and even why John later on would write them so that they would still accomplish the same things that they were doing at the very time Jesus did them? In other words, as you and I read this today, it should accomplish the same thing. And the sign was to see this miracle and point us back and say, Jesus Christ truly must be the Son of God. And believing that He is the Son of God, our lives ought to be transformed as we submit to the teachings of God. And in that, we can have life. So today, our text at the end of John the fourth chapter, if you want to be making your way back to John the fourth chapter, you know, if this was a Bible class setting, I'd I'd like to just do a little poll and and say to you, what's John the fourth chapter about? And wouldn't you think that almost anyone that would answer would say, John the fourth chapter is about the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. It's one of those great chapters. And then we could probably say, without you looking down at your Bibles, was there anything else in John four? And you know, probably most of us would say, I don't remember if there's anything or not. Listen, there is a great, powerful story at the end of John 4 that sometimes is simply overlooked because of the greatness of the story that's at the beginning of John 4. But we see, and and we're not going to take a lot of time on this, but if if it helps you in studying to kind of see the movement, in John the fourth chapter, and in verse 3, we see that Jesus is moving from Judea, and he, see in verse 3, he left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. But then when you notice in verse 4, He doesn't make it all the way to Galilee because it says he needed to go through Samaria. So imagine he's leaving Galilee. He goes to Samaria. That's where the the experience of the Samaritan woman being brought to Jesus Christ, and she is so excited. She goes out and tells the whole town of Sychar about Jesus, and he stays there a few days, and so many other people become believers because of the word of God. Of Jesus. And if you have your Bible open there, I'd just like for you to put your eyes on that in verse 41. We're still in John 4. If you have your Bibles open, look at 41. The woman has went out and told people to come and meet Jesus. And notice in 41, and many more believed because of his own word. In other words, the woman said, Come. And when they came, it was the word of Jesus. Notice, for those in Samaria, They didn't have to have tons of signs. They simply would listen to the word of Jesus and become believers. 
How beautiful and how powerful is that? But he didn't stay in Samaria. Look there in 43. But now after two days, he departed from there and he went, where? To Galilee. Now, let's go into the text for this morning. Look in verse 46. Where did he go in Galilee? Well, when we read this, we see that, that he went to the very same place that we read about in the first sign of, of last week. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine. And so he's back to that same place, but can't you imagine what happens when he comes back into town? What happened when LeBron James came back into Cleveland? Did they talk about it? The word spread? Listen, that's just a basketball player. Now, I know some of you that love basketball are saying, oh, but that's a great. Well, he is a great basketball He hasn't resurrected anybody from the dead. He hasn't healed people when they were at the point of death and saved their life. Can you imagine when Jesus Christ comes back into a place with the miracles that he can work? Can you imagine how people are like, hey, he's back. You remember the one we told you about. He's back. Well, as a matter of fact, not only had it spread, and keep in mind, because this is powerful. I'm not trying to be cute when I say this. This spread without the power of, of the, the modern-day media. You know, there wasn't people texting people to the next town. There wasn't on, on the newscast, Jesus Christ is back in Canaan. How does word spread 20, 30, 40, 50 miles around? Well, he's just made that big of an impression. That's how it spreads. And so when we look on this next slide, the very same verse, look at the same verse, verse 46, but notice how we highlight the end of this verse this time. And there was what? A certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now it's interesting the word nobleman there. That word in its original, the part that has to do with noble, it is the word for king or royalty. Other times in the New Testament, it would talk about like a king's country. It would use that word. Or when it talks about a royal apparel, it would use that word. In other words, this would be another way to say, whoever this man was, he was the king's man. He was an officer. Maybe he was in the cabinet. Today, we might say he works along with the president. Or we might say, he's a dignitary in Washington, D.C. This man is not, so far as society, a common man. This man, so far as society, is in a high position. But now notice what has brought him into a very common place. Sickness in his family. Isn't that interesting? We'll talk about that more in just a, just a moment. But think about it. Sickness is an equalizer of mankind. But let's think about this idea for just a moment, and we'll come back to that, of Capernaum. It says he's from Capernaum. And if you like to, to follow things in movement, <clears throat> you see here on the map that we have Cana there that, that was just about nine or ten miles north of Nazareth where Jesus grew up. You remember we talked about last week is a very, very small place. But then you see there to the east about Probably, and, and it, you know, it would determine the curves and the roads and etc., but probably a 20 mile walk would be Capernaum. So, when this noble man, now think about it, a man that works for the king, he hears about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He walks or travels in some kind of chariot or, or cart 20 miles. Why? 
would a noble man travel 20 miles to talk to what previously people thought was a common man from Nazareth? Remember back in John, the first chapter, when Nathaniel was being called to believe in Jesus? You remember when he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Scholars don't believe that that was just his opinion. They believe that he was quoting an expression of speech that day. You mean to tell me a nobleman is going to walk 20 miles to talk with someone from Nazareth? Or was he much more than just a man from Nazareth? So when we go back to the fourth chapter in verse 47, I'd like for you to notice it says when he heard that Jesus had come out. You see, word is definitely spreading. And notice it says he went to him and implored him. That word implored, in a sense, there's nothing special about it as long as you realize what it really means. It means a very straightforward request. The root of that, it's not the same word, but the root of it is similar or the root may be the same of interrogate. But it's the idea to ask very directly. So this nobleman comes and he has, it's not, well, if I, if I get around to it, I'm going to ask Jesus a favor. Oh, if, if I can happen to run into him, I might mention I have a son that's sick. You think you might want to do something about it. Oh, no. This nobleman went with one purpose. I'm going straight up to Jesus and I'm asking him directly, start walking with me. I have a son that's sick, and I want you to do something about it. Now, with that in mind, let's think about this for just a moment. We can get into positions in life where we think we're self-sufficient. You know, some of you are blessed. And right now, if you needed to go out and and run a 5K, you'd have no problem. We have some here that if you needed to go out and run a marathon today, you'd have no problem. There's some here that if you needed to write a $100,000 check right now, your only problem might be to just shift some money around in the morning or a $500,000 check. There's some of you that have connections that almost it seems like anything that could happen in your life, you could know somebody that would help you. And if we're not careful, we begin to think, I've got everything covered. I've taken care of myself. I've planned well. I'm sufficient. Isn't it interesting how sickness sobers us. How sickness oftentimes brings us back down to earth. I'm a nobleman. I work for the king. I travel on important trips and handle big business for the king. But you let his son get sick. And he finds himself just like the rest of us. We can't take care of ourselves. Are you humble enough to admit that? You can't. You can't take care of yourself. 
And I'm not saying that everything about sickness is good. But you know, maybe sometime we need to get the flu. Maybe sometime we need to be laying on our back and facing a surgery. If that's what it takes to humble us. So that we realize, I'm not all that I might have thought that I was. And so he approaches Jesus. And now, he is a man in great need. I wonder how many times this guy in the last month before this had asked someone for something. Maybe not once, but he did this day. He was desperate. Jesus, I'm begging you, come with me. And Jesus does something that if we do not know why he's doing it and we do not know the rest of the story, it would seem to be rude. But brethren, there's nothing rude about what he's about to do. He is going to stop at this moment and instead of addressing the son, the son's issues of sickness, he's going to address priorities. And I want you to notice carefully what Jesus does in 48. And Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. I don't know that Jesus is rebuking him here as much as he's just saying, what a powerful opportunity to teach. I want to stop at this moment and I just want to teach you something, sir. Can you imagine in other settings if Jesus referred to the nobleman as you people? That might have been offensive because he probably wasn't accustomed to seeing himself as the common man. I believe that Jesus is doing that intentionally. I believe that, that he's helping this man see. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't matter what side of the tracks or what side of town you grew up in. It doesn't matter if you're in mansions or in poverty. It doesn't matter if you have many degrees or no degree. It doesn't matter what continent you live on. It doesn't matter who your daddy or your grandmother was. You know what? We find ourselves in the same situation, and that is we are humans in need of a Savior. And so what Jesus does at this point is he says... I could talk with you right now about your son, but I don't want to talk with you right now about your son. You know what I want to talk with you about? I want to talk to the father of the son that's sick. What about you, father? What about you, noble man? Do you have any needs in your life? Or is it only your son that has a need? Now please listen to all that I'm about to say because I'm not trying to, to rebuke in such a way as to say there's everything horrible about what I'm about to say. But if we don't get to the end of what Jesus is saying right now and the application I'm about to give you, we have missed the important message. I don't know how many times, but I can tell you it's a lot more than fit on two hands. I don't know how many times in ministry I've had individuals to call or drop by the office during the week and their hearts are heavy. And oftentimes tears are in their eyes. And they're talking about something that their child has done lately. And the story will oftentimes go something like this. Now there's an addiction that's entered into my teenager's life. My teenager got arrested last week and, and now I'm so afraid that they're going to have a record. Or I know they're running with friends that a friend got into serious trouble last week. And then the story turns this way. We haven't been to church since they were babies. I grew up going to church. I don't know how we got out of the habit. I don't know what happened. And you know, now I realize this. I need to have my son, I need to have my daughter in church. 
What can you do to help me? Do you hear that parallel there? Okay, mother, father, your child is the only one that needs to be in church. Your, your child is the only one that has an issue. And isn't it interesting, the issue isn't my child's soul is lost. The issue is I'm so afraid they're going to have a record. I'm so afraid that they're not going to be able to get into college that, that I hope that they can get into. I'm so afraid and just start filling in the physical blanks. Do you see what Jesus was doing here? He was dealing with what you and I deal with on a daily basis, whether through personal experience or helping someone else through their personal experiences. And it's how often we, we feel so desperate when there's something physically wrong with our child. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, let's, let's take care of that physical but do you realize we need to start with the most important? Sir, what about you and your soul? Now, of course, at this very moment, that man does not comprehend all of this. But I'd like for you to notice the movement here. And, and, and as we do, I'd just like to, to ask you this question. Who did need Jesus the most? The nobleman? The father? Or was it the son? the one that was physically sick. We go to verse 49. The nobleman shows intensity. He says, Sir, come down before my child dies. Listen, this child isn't just sick with a virus. And we've already seen earlier in this passage that he was at the point of death when he left home. How much do you believe in Jesus if you think that your child is dying and you know you're going on a 20-mile walk each way and you've got to make the decision. If I leave and go get Jesus, can he really heal him? And if he can't, I'm not going to be by the side of my child when they die. Which one do I do? This man already showed great faith. I'm going to make that long walk because I believe he can do something about it. Then he approaches Jesus, and what does Jesus do? Jesus begins to give a spiritual teaching. And what does this man do? It's almost as if he said, Sir, I don't have time for this synagogue-style lectureship where we, we sit for a few hours and we study and reason together. Do you see, in essence, what, what he's saying there when he says... If we continue talking like this, while we're talking, my child is going to die. How far would you walk to save your child? 20 miles and back? Oh, you'd walk a lot further than that, wouldn't you? You'd walk 200 miles and back. You'd walk probably 500 miles and back. You'd do whatever you could do because that's how love goes for our children but notice, Jesus says to him in 50, Go your way, your son lives. You see, this man up to this point had only expected Jesus to be able to heal his son if he was in the same town and probably in the same room with his son. 
What he had not taken into account is that the power of Jesus to change lives in Capernaum was just as powerful whether he was standing in Capernaum or if he was 20 miles away in Cana. Why? Humans can't do that, but God can. Another thing that he never took into account, that even if he dies, what, what could happen? Jesus could raise him from the dead. Do you realize the difference Jesus can make in our life? I'd like for you to notice this next word, this, uh, out of the man, the next description. Verse 50. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. That's the difference. You see, this miracle is told to cause us to believe. To believe what? To believe that Jesus can work miracles? This may sound strange to you, but that's not why this miracle is told. This miracle is told to help us believe that the one who can work miracles, we better believe His Word. If He can work miracles, believe His Word. And so what's the emphasis here? The reason He did not go into the presence of the Son to heal Him is because He wanted, Jesus wanted this man to test whatever level of belief that He had in Jesus at this time. Are you willing to believe my words? We mention oftentimes, and for good reason, 2 Corinthians the 5th chapter, we walk by faith, not by sight. Do you realize that's what was required of this man at this very moment? If Jesus walked with him and he saw him heal, that would be great in one level of faith. But it's an entirely different level of faith when you've come saying, Jesus, you've got to go with me. We've got to heal my son. And he says, your son lives. Go your way. Am I going to believe it or not? Am I going to walk away without him walking with me? Do I believe? I've got, I've got all day to walk now. Do I believe that this has happened? Isn't this amazing that the, the, the summary, as John records it, he is, the man believed the word of Jesus. Today we have all around us people, and there might be some in this room, that really don't believe the words of Jesus. Christ's covenant is the New Testament. When it says something, do we believe it? That's the test. Do we believe the word of Jesus? Well, remember how it turned out? Look at verse 52. Or look at 51. And now he was going down because he left. He believed Jesus. His servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. You realize that's the same words that Jesus used? Jesus said, Your son lives. Now the servants meet him, and they have the same great news. Your son lives. And look at verse 52. He inquired of them. I like this. I don't think this is a negative thing. He wants to test faith. He wants to say, all right, can, can Jesus really do what Jesus says he can do? Test him. Obey him. Submit your life to him and see if he can't do what he says he'll do. And so, look in 52. He inquired of, of the, the servants of the hour when he got better. And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father, what? Knew. See, faith was proven now. I know, I know I can really believe the words of Jesus because that was the hour that Jesus said, your son lives. So isn't that interesting? Jesus said, your son lives. The servants came and said, your son lives. And now the man says in his mind, those two match. The times match of my son being healed. 
Now notice the beauty of the last sentence there in 53. And he himself believed and his whole household believed. When we truly believe the words of Jesus, lives are changed. So on this next slide, notice in 46 and 47, we read that he began seeking Jesus. In 48 and 49, he began to believe that at least Jesus can do powerful things. But then in verse 50, he had to make a decision. Am I going to believe his words? I believe he could do miracles, but now am I going to believe his words? Am I going to walk away believing? And he did. In 51 through 53, we see that his faith was confirmed. It was built up. It was lifted up. And the result of that is he had influence on the household. And was his household there? Remember, we've already read about servants here. He's probably talking about not only his wife and other children, but probably servants. You can imagine them all sitting down and talking that night with the son that is well. And you imagine them talking. And he's telling about what Jesus did. And then they're telling about what happened while Jesus said this. And you can imagine what individuals said. It gives me cold chills to think this. Can you imagine? They probably sat in that room and they probably said with their own lips, I believe he is the son of God. No man can do these things. Remember what Nicodemus said in the previous chapter, back in chapter three? No man can do these things. See, the miracles are pointing to the sign. What? He's the son of God. I want to follow him. I want the life that this man has to offer, this eternal life. What I learned today, number one, I learned that the first miracle wasn't to save a life, but to save embarrassment and make life better. But the second miracle in John did save a life and to do so much more. Number two, I learned that one of the greatest statements in this paragraph is, so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. That's probably greater than the miracle. Number three, I learned what is the greater good in this story. A boy was healed physically. Or a household became believers in Christ. Number four, which raises more concern in your life? Physical sickness or spiritual sickness? I hope that you and I develop a faith and a heart that has a greater awareness and concern for spiritual sickness than physical sickness. Because no matter how critical the physical sickness is, it's temporary. Spiritual sickness is for an eternity. Thank God we have a Savior. Let's believe He's the Son of God, and believing in that, we can have eternal life. If you've never been immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, allowed Him to be your eternal Savior, we extend His invitation this morning and would love for anyone that's a believer willing to repent of sins and confess before men, we'd love to assist you in being baptized into Christ. Maybe you've been baptized into Christ and along the way you've lost the way and maybe things have gotten out of priority. Maybe some physical things seem more important. Maybe self-sustaining seemed possible. Maybe a study of God's Word or maybe some other things that's happened in your life has caused you to realize, I need to repent and I need to confess sin and I need to pray forgiveness and I need to come back humbly submitting myself to God. If we can help you in any way,